0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Inside the OC podcast. My name is Matt Cannizzaro, and we are glad and excited to bring in some uh, some more special guests. That's the, uh, the word of the year, but uh, we're going to take it back to 2009 and the USBC Open Championships in Las Vegas. A very memorable year for many aspects, uh, and we will talk to uh, our doubles record holders, Stephen and Brenda Padilla. We'll have Brenda come on first talk about her career and what life is like right now for her uh, and the family. And then we'll bring in Steven to talk about that 2009 event. But before we get started with our guest for today, let's bring in from Kentucky, Daniel Ferris, my co-host. Welcome.
1: Thanks, Matt. How are you doing today?
0: Doing all right. Looking forward to, to being back in the swing of it here. I see uh, you've made your way to, to great clips or wherever, and uh, you are ready to go after this holiday weekend.
1: Yeah, local barbershop over by the, uh, by the, where our, uh, Bowling Center used to be where our pro shop was at, and I've been getting my hair cut there for, gosh, over 20 years, and uh, they were happy to see me. I think I was happier to see them, but I got it looking good. I'm Dapper Dan today, so I'm ready to go for another great episode of Inside the
0: OC. All right. Well, as I said, we're going to dive in and talk to a couple of champions from back in 2009. You were just a kid back then and uh, still hadn't started your own Open Championships jersey just yet. Uh, We do appreciate uh, everybody tuning in already. Please remember to share with all your friends on Facebook And uh, let them know that we are live, also on Bull TV and uh, YouTube as well. So uh, you can find us anywhere, and uh, we're looking forward to it. And uh, with that, Mr. Farish, let's bring in today's first guest, Brenda Padilla.
2: Welcome. Hey, how are you guys?
0: We are doing great. Thank you for joining us. We do appreciate it. We know you have a a busy final couple weeks there uh, in the the school world, and uh, we'll talk about that and more. But uh, how are you doing?
2: Doing great. The life has not slowed down, even though it seems like with the COVID-19, everything else around us has, but ours is still pretty busy.
0: Okay. Now you are a fifth grade teacher is my uh, my understanding. And so yeah. I imagine trying to keep everything organized and online has been uh, <laughs> interesting to say the least. Uh, talk about how things have changed for you over the last couple of months and from bringing the classroom uh, into your living room, really, and trying to, to keep things going and, and make sure those youngsters get to middle school.
2: Yeah, it's been a little crazy. Uh, We were in Ohio visiting my mom over spring break and found out, I think it was like March 12th or March 13th. And that was, we weren't going to come back the next week. And then that got extended and it got extended some more. And, you know, I, I have to hand it to my school and our administrators and just the staff, because within two days we were up and running virtually and Man, I'm telling you, what a crazy change from, you know, in person every single day with these kids to, you know, now let's let's make our lessons online and figure out how to, you know, keep them learning and Zoom calls. And it's (laughs) I'm about Zoom called out at this point, but it's been fun. We've we've figured out some ways to play games like we had a rock, rock, paper, scissors championship. And okay. virtually we played pass the pencil through the, the Zoom call. You know, one of the things in my classroom that I'm pretty well known for is just the silly and the goofy. You know, if it's going to be fun, it's going to be happening in my classroom. And, and there's been so many times that administrators have come in because it's been noisy and they come in and we're dancing. And <laughs> but the rule is, is, if you come in and we're dancing, you got to dance with us. So we just I like to have a good time.
0: That sounds great. And uh, if ever there was a generation to be able to handle being online, <laughs> and um, this certainly is it. And uh, you have a youngster of your own. You and Steven uh, have little Maddie at home, and yeah. uh, who's not so little anymore, uh, no, she, I imagine. No,
2: she turned eight over spring break, and um, it was actually, we actually flew on her birthday, March 7th, and the ladies on Southwest, they brought her like a birthday bag, and it was really a fun experience, so.
0: Now, as far as uh, being a being a mom and a teacher and a kind of a, a teaching mom at the same time, I imagine she's been encountering some of the, the same things that you have and your students. Uh, what's it been like trying to play the dual role? I know uh, Steven Fadilla at home as well as uh, our USBC Director of Coaching and uh, the High Performance Director for Team USA. So uh, nice to have a little bit of help there. But uh, as far as getting her through her things as well, uh, what has that been like?
2: Second grade's hard. That's all I got to say. Second grade has been... St- <laughs> hard. Um, I'm very thankful to teach fifth graders who are pretty much self sufficient. And you can give them a Google form and you can give them some flashcards to study and you can tell them to go watch this video. But man, with second grade, you have to sit right there with them. And Maddie is awesome and full of energy and very distractible. But she has handled this like a champ. Um, mom has has struggled a little bit more than Maddie has. So but it's been good. So she's finished. They've got, I've got to drive back up to school today because this was the novel that they finished. Um, so she's got to turn that in today and pick up her awards, but she did great this year, uh, finished on the honor roll and all sorts of good stuff, a good citizen award. And she got into the mile, I don't, the 10 mile club. So it's all good. So I think she's ready to get back to ACA and not the school of mom.
0: Uh, understandable um and now for you guys the school year wrapping up as steven said uh grades being posted you're working on those today uh, you yeah. said a, a final message to your students and then technically summer vacation and uh, i imagine that has a different uh, sound to it than it did a few months ago but uh what's uh, on the horizon for uh, for you and maddie and steven will be hard at work still uh, but what do you guys have planned?
2: Not quite sure at this point. Um, you know, originally I had planned to bowl some of the stops this summer and now that's kind of on hold. So, you know, it is one wide open, you know, calendar of possibilities at this point. So we're up for anything. Um, I am going to try to do some more walking and hopefully get some swimming in and things like that. But after this last nine weeks of school, you know, I never imagined that you know, we, as teachers, we always, we look forward to our breaks and it's like, oh my gosh, 10 days till spring break. And the countdown is on. And now all I want to do is just get back into the classroom with my kids. And so, you know, there's part of me that's excited for summer, but man, I really want to get back into the classroom and, you know, just get back to having fun and, and some sort of a normal, you know, social and academic and just, school is my home away from home and I have my friends and my kids and my families. And as much as I complain about it, this has really taught me that it's, there's nothing really to complain about. So it's just all part of life.
0: And one of the, the main questions always, of course, is, uh, what do you miss the most about uh, the real world and real life? But it sounds like you, you kind of just gave us that answer. Um, you know, there's, there's nothing like, it sounds like your, your class is the place to be. Um, we have certainly. fun. Yeah.
2: So we also, one of the my favorite things that we did while we've been home, we've done, we started early and the ones early were just a lot of fun, but we did drive-bys for our students. And so, you know, we have a caravan of four teachers and we would just, we drove. And because I teach at a charter school, our kids aren't just in one neighborhood. I mean, they are all over Arlington and Mansfield and Grand Prairie and parts of Fort Worth. And (laughs) so we have been all over the countryside screaming and waving and hollering and visiting. And so those were our Fridays and those were kind of fun. And I think the kids and the parents got a kick out of it as well, so.
1: Well, I can't speak to gas prices down in Texas, but up in Kentucky, they've been pretty cheap. So I hope it's a, it's a good thing that they're cheaper for you all down there with all that <laughs> driving you've been doing. Yeah, uh, we
2: did. We put on some miles.
1: So for our viewers who don't know, your husband, Stephen, is the uh, director of coaching at the USBC. And typically uh, he'd be traveling a lot during this time of the year. What's it been like having him at home uh, more often than not? Have, have, has that been a good you know d- to relieve the stress and, and just kind of spend some time together?
2: Yeah, you know, he has his little office space downstairs and I moved my little office space upstairs. And so, you know, we cross paths at certain times during the day. Maddie's got her little learning station up by me. Um, But I think he's been really good with wanting to get some stuff done around the house. We're, you know, we're updating some things in the house and doing some painting and things like that. So, you know, he's done a lot of projects. He, let me tell you, he is the best handyman ever. He has fixed so many things on my car. He has gotten in and fixed sensors on my car and tires and um, the air conditioning in my car. It's been awesome. So,
1: now, just this is just out of sheer curiosity from seeing this around me and my own uh, personal life here in Louisville. Uh, you know, having your family members home with you more often than not sounds great at the beginning, but after a while, you know, it can start to get a little tense. So, so be honest. Who's the first one to touch a nerve with you in the house, Maddie or Steven?
0: Uh,
1: the dog. The the dog. (laughs) (laughs) How are you going to put it on the dog? (laughs) (laughs) That hurts my soul.
2: Well, because I can't, you know, Maddie is eight, you know, and so She's Maddie and Steven is my best friend. And so, you know, it's just with everything. Life has ups and downs and you you know, people annoy you and you get frustrated with it. But listen, at the end of the day, I'm so blessed to have family around me that you just gotta, you know, shake it off and breathe through it and just be thankful for what you do have You know, we've really had to slow down and take some stock and some inventory into the things that are important in life. And man, you know what? My family is the most important thing to me and we've been healthy through all of this. And, you know, we've grown closer because we've learned some of the things that make each other tick that we might not have been so in tune with before. We're definitely tuned up at this point.
0: So that's uh, I totally 100% believe that answer too. There's no, uh, no smoke being blown there. Uh, Having known Steven for 20 plus years uh, back from college bowling and now Brenda for, for decades as well and of course all of our time at usbc and on the lane so 100 i believe that to uh, to be true and i don't think stephen has been grounded one time during this whole thing uh which is uh which is great he's been behaving uh but that does transition nicely to uh to you know kind of your bowling career a little bit and your family uh and just some of the some of the background there uh, you do come from a, a bowling family and you mentioned in our interview in 2009, and again, we'll see that, and we'll talk more about that later on in the the show. Uh, But you were at the USBC Open Championships long before you were able to bowl in the event, uh, something (laughs) that your dad did for more than 30 years, and it was a vacation for you guys, a destination each time. uh, So it already was incredibly special for you uh, before you got to bowl, and then when you finally got to have some success. uh, And, of course, uh, your sister, Jerry, a former head coach of Team USA, a USBC Hall of Famer for all her great service, and now the head coach of Puerto Rico. Uh, so imagine uh, bowling all the time back in the uh, the Edwards household back in the day.
2: Yeah, for sure. Um, my dad started us all when we were really young. I was probably five, and I can remember the first time going to the bowling center to actually get to bowl, and he picked up the little yellow seven-pound house ball, and he never let me throw it between my legs. So it's really remarkable that I stuck with it because that first night I can remember he was like screaming at me and he probably wasn't screaming, but at five, everything, you know, gets blown out of proportion. He's like, can you count to four? And I was like, yes. And he says, well, it's not that hard. And I don't think I ever got any pins knocked down that night, but you know, that's how it all started. And you know, my dad had such high expectations of all of us growing up. And so it was never about winning. it was never about succeeding. it was always about doing your best. And so that was always that was always in me with with bowling and with sports and with school. It was always, okay, well, did you do your best? And so I learned at a really early age to have to be able to look in the mirror and either say, yeah, I did my best and be honest about it or say, no, there was something I could have done better. And so and it's really interesting because Stephen as my coach, he always, whether it's win or lose, it's always, well, what did you learn? And so every time, whether it's practice or competition, or even just watching on television, some of the greats that are, that are playing today, you know, what are you learning? What are you seeing? What are you noticing? And so everything that we do within bowling for me is a learning experience. Um, A lot of times I'll fight that because it's not always fun and it's not always comfortable and it's not always easy, um, but you know, we really do try to take away something from every time that we hit the lanes.
0: Now uh, you have one of the, the best coaches in the world, uh, as, as a live-in coach, um, and now <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> you guys have had a little bit of free time lately and the potential for some events on the horizon, but what, what have you done bowling wise to, uh, to stay sharp and to get out there and just, uh, to be ready for when it's time to go and hit the lanes
2: again? Well, for me, and I was actually talking about this earlier today. For me, my game is fairly simple. Uh, There's no big tricks or anything to it. It's very um, almost classical. So for me to get back to the lanes, it doesn't usually take a long time for me to get sharp. Um, First of all, I don't really enjoy practicing. Um, uh, I'm one of those, let's put in 30, 45 minutes and I'm good. Um, And it didn't always used to be like that, uh, but anymore, there's just, there's so much going on that I try to shorten practices down and then they, they, anyway, Um, but I do a lot of mental practice as well. And I, I put myself into situations that I can view in my brain and I can see myself picking up the ball because I'm a, you know, I'm a very big advocate that in order to achieve it, you have to be able to see it in your mind's eye before you do it. Um, and so I do a lot of that and I go back and I watch videos and we watch a lot of bowling on TV and going back through archives and, you know, our DVR is probably bowling is probably the biggest category on our DVR. So, um, there are things that you can do off the lanes when you can't get to the lanes. So I'll be ready.
0: So, what, uh, what role did, did Jerry play in uh, your development before, before Steven came along? Uh, having, a, having a superstar coach in the family and nearby at some point uh, certainly had to help. But uh, what role and, and how hard was it to kind of follow her lead uh, as she went out and did cool <laughs> things and won a PWB tour title and uh, really uh, set the example?
2: Well, you have to understand, Jerry is also 13 years older than I am. So when I was growing up, she was always on this pedestal. And, you know, my dad was forever and, you know, Jerry, Jerry always smiles. It doesn't matter what she's doing. It doesn't matter if somebody's on her nerves, she will smile and say hello to you and have this wonderful conversation with you. And you'll never know that she's feeling anything other than joy. And so growing up, that was that's always been there. And so growing up, my dad was like, hey, why can't you be more like Jerry? And I'm like, because uh, I'm Brenda. I'm the fiery one. I'm the one that has the attitude most of the time. You know and so her her positive energy has always been an influence in my life and when i was in high school she was already you know out and working and doing her thing and bowling on tour and so anytime we could get together and work man that was like glorious for me and a couple of summers ago i actually got to go and work out with her at stonehenge and got to have a little bit of a lesson from fred borden and so You know, Jerry's always just been the one that has inspired me to be better, not just on the lanes, but also in how I treat other people. And so and that's hard. It's hard to always be happy and it's hard to always put the smile on when you don't want to. Um, So she's just an incredible person. I'm so proud to call her my sister.
0: Uh, She is a a phenomenal person. I 100 percent agree with that as well. Uh, I was there minutes after she found out she was going to be inducted into the USBC Hall of Fame. Got to do the first interview and take the first photos and, uh, you know, we traveled a little bit together. My first international trip was with her at the World Cup in Mexico and uh, some good stories came out of there. So um, just a a great role model, no doubt. And now, uh, you know, you have you have Steven at home and um, now for Maddie. Has she uh, she caught the bowling bug? Is is she the next generation or does she have some other interests right now?
2: Um, you know, she will she'll do what she wants to do. Um, She loves gymnastics. She took gymnastics lessons when she was real young. Um, She's taken swimming lessons and she's a little fish in the pool and she wants to play soccer and she wants to dance and she wants to cheerlead and she wants to sing. she loves to bowl. Um, every time we go to practice, she wants to get out and throw the ball. So, you know, with her, whatever she wants to do, we will support her 100 percent. If it's bowling, that'll make both of us really happy. But if it's not, it's OK, too. All
0: right. I believe Daniel had a follow up question for you before we talk about your collegiate career and then on to Team USA.
1: Uh, yeah, real quick before the follow up, one of our comments from uh, Tina Williams on Facebook. Again, all of you watching on Facebook and YouTube and Bowl TV, thank you very much. Uh, Tina said, "The first word I think of when I think of Brenda is fierce." <laughs> so you're right, you are Brenda, you are not Jerry. The follow up question I have goes back to talking about how a lot of your DVR is filled with bowling, and you all watch have been watching a lot of bowling. I know that personally, when I feel there's something off with my release, it's you know, with for bowlers, it's a feel thing. You feel it. Uh, I'll watch some top-level players, and I'll just watch the release because I feel like if I watch it and I see how they do it how clean it comes off their hand, it'll put it, like you said, in my mind's eye, but there's not any one specific bowler that I watch. So for you all, when you watch all this bowling on your DVR, if you're watching it online, is there one or two specific players you're watching, or is it just you're watching great bowlers to try and get that in your mind's eye?
2: You know, one of the things for me that I've always struggled with is watching – ball roll down the lane and so one of the things I find very helpful is watching these telecasts and watching the ball roll and seeing what makes good pin carry and what makes not so good pin carry and so you know I love watching all of the the ladies right now it's man our young and they're not really young anymore Um, I'm just getting a little bit older But all of the ladies that are out on tour right now and playing, I mean, we watched Maria last night in, I think it was like the world championships um, from Vegas a couple of years ago. And just watching her competitiveness and watching her ball roll down the lane and being able to see and predict, oh, yeah, that one's going to strike versus ones that didn't. You know, those are the types of things that I like to do when I'm watching a TV show.
0: Okay. We've been on uh, your fair share of of TV and and top performances as well. Uh, First, we'll talk about uh, your decision, your choice to go to the University of Nebraska. A couple national titles there had to be an incredible experience for you. You're an All-American and academic All-American, so very focused on both sides of things, of course, uh, to, again, become an educator uh, at that point. But uh, tell us the the process of decision-making that went into that being – the place where you were going to spend your college years and, and at the time certainly couldn't have made a, a better choice.
2: Well, originally, Matt, I, I went to Moorhead State University my freshman year um, and I bowled for Moorhead. And interestingly enough, I went to Moorhead because my dad told me I wouldn't like it. And, you know, you talk about being an adolescent and knowing everything. Yeah, that was me. And I learned very quickly that, you know, we finished second at nationals my first year there at Moorhead, but um, it just didn't seem like the right fit for me. And so I did end up out at Nebraska because Bill Straub is just, Mm -hmm. he's such a great coach. And, you know, I, I know a lot of the girls who have gone through have said, you know, he's hard and you're right, he is hard, but man, he pushes you and he's very academic and he's very thoughtful in how he teaches but he also teaches basics, you know, and he teaches that strong push away and that strong finish position. And those are timeless, you know, there are other things in the game that will change, but if you have a solid foundation, you're going to be successful. And and that's what Bill teaches. And when I was there and the transition through some of our assistant coaches and Paul Klimpa finishing, he was our assistant coach my last year there. I can't tell you there are two better men at the college level to coach um, and to put together some winning teams.
0: Well, no doubt that had you incredibly prepared for what came next, uh, and again, some some big decisions as far as the path to take coming out of college. You had some success at different events, uh, but tell us about what the the, the plans were. Uh, leaving Nebraska, going in the real world, uh, was it bowling? Was it teaching? Was it a little bit of both? Uh, and how much did the the PWBA going away in 2003 potentially? change things for you?
2: Um, Well, right out of college, I did. I went out on tour in 98, and I bowled for the 98 season, and I experienced some success, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I missed being needed in the classroom, because out on tour, you know, everybody's out there to win, and it's very competitive, and it doesn't always matter if you're there or you're not there. And so I was really missing just the connections with students. And so I decided to go back into the classroom and I started teaching and I taught third grade my first year and then ended up in fifth grade for a couple of years. Um, At that point, you know, we get to 2001, 2002 and, you know, I was really enjoying what I was doing in the classroom. So bowling really wasn't on my mind so much. and then the two are folded in 2003 and so that made the decision easy. Um, you know, I, I took a couple of years off and didn't bowl a whole lot. Uh, my dad was diagnosed with pulmonary fibrosis in 2005, late 2005, and that was when I kind of started going back to the lanes. Uh, my dad was the reason that we bowled. Uh, he got us started. He had a pro shop in the basement of our house Uh, his first job, he worked for Libby's. If you've ever had the pumpkin pie mix from the can, that was my dad's recipe that he worked on to develop. And so so that's the fun fact. Uh, um, But he always pushed us. And so I decided that I, I tried out for Team USA in 98. And that was back in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. And I was a kid. And I didn't realize how hard you really had to work to be successful because, you know, back when in my high school and teenage years and even my college years, um, I was successful and didn't always have to work really hard for it. And I didn't realize the value of hard work, not until I really started to decide, you know, as a 2030 something (laughs) Uh, in 2006 that, you know, this is something that I really want to dedicate myself to and I really want to work hard and train and not just train my body but train my mind and train my eye. And so that was, I started probably July of 2006 uh, training for the 2007 team trials and I was fortunate enough to be selected to the team that year. And I will tell you there is no greater feeling sitting in the squad room when they're revealing the team and hearing your name called, I probably shot out of that seat so (laughs) hard because I mean, truly, you know, here I was, you know, I'm in my thirties. This was a dream that I had had way back when I was still in my early twenties and to realize it at that age. And then at that point, my sister was the head coach for team USA and it just, it was cool. And, uh, So I'll always remember that. And then making the team again in 2008, that was also a great honor as well. Um, We got to June of 2008, and my dad passed away. And at that point, I kind of lost desire to bowl. And so I didn't bowl a whole lot. Um, And, you know, we get through to uh, about March, April 2009, and Stephen kind of looked at me. And the Queens was coming up and he says, are you going to bowl? And I was like, eh, I don't know. I hadn't bowled in about five months. And he says, well, you know, you're not really honoring your dad if you quit now. You still got stuff in you. And he was right. Uh, and so I kind of took a hard look and practiced a little bit over the next couple of weeks. And I flew out and uh, made went to the Queens event and made that television show. Uh, bowled my way through the loser's bracket to to make the TV show. And so, the rest from there. Uh, 2009 was my banner year in my entire career. So,
0: well, it definitely sounds like the path was was the right one for you. And uh, and when you did have the chance to compete, certainly the the passion was there. And and, and you did it because you loved it. Uh, so I think no no resentment, no no what ifs. Sounds like hundred um, percent. You know the career and, and parenthood and the family. And um, and when you do get out there, you you certainly take advantage of it. Uh, the couple of years on team USA there initially you mentioned, and you had the opportunity to travel a little bit and, and win some medals. And uh, can you just describe before we move on to to the, to the bigger moments, if there are bigger, maybe, maybe just different (laughs) uh, standing on that podium and and receiving a medal representing your country.
2: Well, listen, um, 2008, I got to bowl the tournament of the Americas and uh, Dell Ballard was also, he was my men's doubles partner that year. And, Man, he, bowling with a legend like that, that's crazy. And so it was really cool. We actually, I think, still hold the mixed doubles record at that that event. Um, 2010 was the year that I really got to break out and bowl a lot of stuff because of my team trials win in 2000, for the 2010 season. Um, I got to bowl in Guatemala and JJ and I won the mixed doubles masters event and we both qualified to go bowl the tournament, the championship of the champions event in uh, Barcelona. And so, and that was, that was just a crazy experience. Uh, I'll, <laughs> we bowled singles event and I started with a 160 game and I ended up beating all of the bowlers, the girls and the boys that were there as well. And uh, Mika was in that field. And so that was such a crazy event. My doubles partner for that one was Rocio. And so just a lot of cool memories, I will tell you. And it's something that I tell my, my fifth graders every year is that there is absolutely nothing like getting up on a podium and having the star spangled banner played and the flag raised because of something you've done. Um, It just, it's, (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Oh, glamor shots. Um, It is, it's a crazy, awesome feeling. And, you know, if I experience nothing else in my life that's cool like that I those memories stay with you forever.
0: See not only is Daniel Ferish our stats and numbers guy but see, uh, he also knows now where to dig for the for the best photos <laughs> and videos and we'll have some more throughout the, the next 30 minutes or so and um, this certainly is a, a great start. there you go, Team USA training camp this is uh, part of the part of the price of fame and yeah. uh, something we'll, we'll always have and enjoy. Um, but I imagine those couple of years on team USA great for the confidence as you mentioned 2009 kind of the, the memorable year for you um, Steven, letting you know you know that it was that it was time and, and you getting back out there um, the Queen's run uh, uh, of course as always a star-studded field and uh, you held your own so well and, and a special event too uh, that tournament just in itself and then the finals, across the street at the event center on a special build. So, um, you know, before we get into what happened just a couple months later, uh, talk about that Queens run and and just being around all those incredible players and being one of them uh, and then making your way into the TV show.
2: Well, that whole event was just crazy. Um, Steven was teaching a class uh, during qualifying, and he flew in for the match play portion of that. And it was just one of the best – examples of knowing your equipment and knowing your opponents and and knowing when the right ball is the right choice and why. I, I don't know that I've had that experience again since then. Um, I won my first couple of matches uh, and then Lisa Bishop sent me into the loser's bracket and at that point then I had to bowl Kendra and she shot huge and I happened to shoot a little bit more and I bowled Kim uh, Kearney and then I had to bowl Linda to make the show and so you want to talk about you know having to beat people that I've watched my entire life not only are they my friends but they're also just incredible players I, I can't I can't tell you how honored I was to be able to be in the same arena as them and competing at the same time and holding my own. So, you know, that was really, it was just a crazy dream come true. And, you know, people always will talk to me about, you know, they watched that telecast and I smiled a lot because to me, I hadn't even thought about winning that event. Like it never crossed my mind until after the show was done. Um, I had won the event because I had made the television show. And so it was one of those things that you, you you need to focus on what your goal is and my goal was to make tv not win and so you know I look back at that and I'm like man you missed an opportunity there so and it's funny because you know Lisa Bishop took me out of the winner's bracket in the regular tournament and then took me out on the lanes here at the television show as well. So she had a great week. She yeah. made that she made that crazy like four through the middle in the ninth frame so that's the one thing i will because i've never seen that made especially on tv and she makes that in the ninth frame it was crazy it was her event to continue on in
0: well now potentially that telecast is in somebody's dvr somewhere and, and some little girl is watching that looking up to to brenda padilla and, and wanting to be you uh, how does that feel to know that uh, that that that's true and and you are certainly a role model with all that you've accomplished.
2: It's pretty surreal. I I don't, I don't see myself like that. I I am a teacher and a mom and I, yeah, I can, I can bowl on the side, but you know, I wish, um, I wish that the tour had continued through the early 2000s because you know, that might have changed my trajectory, but man, I have no regrets at anything. I've accomplished so much on the lanes, I definitely haven't accomplished everything that I want to, but I'm proud of my achievements, but you know what I'm more proud of is my family and being able to, you know, be a teacher and the impact that I have on many, I wouldn't have that opportunity if I had chosen a different path.
0: We're going to certainly talk about some paths and and the path that I was on in June of 2009. Mm -hmm. uh, Hanging out in Las Vegas, watching some bowling. uh, Right place at the right time for for me. And I get the call over the radio uh, that there's some strikes being thrown uh, out on the lanes and, um, you know, some close personal friends bowling. So I imagine I walked by nine or ten times uh, just to say hello uh, between, you know, that morning and the night before during the team event. Um, but we've made it. Finally now, we, uh, we've made it to the 2009 USBC Open Championships. Uh, the folks watching now know that you are, in fact, a, a well-traveled superstar and that uh, every pin knocked down in Las Vegas in 'oh nine certainly was earned and no surprise to any of us. Uh, but, man, there certainly were a lot of them. And uh, what happened there was uh, the highest double score in USBC Open Championships history, 15-66. 66 was the number uh and you you almost got half of it uh but the uh, the person who helped you get there uh, we're going to bring him in now again usbc's director of coaching and the high performance director for team usa but uh, also a record holder and eagle winner steven padella welcome
3: hey guys thanks for having me on I appreciate it
0: all right this uh certainly is a fun one a fun story to to look back on and tell and uh, man, you guys did some striking that day. And the previous record was 1544. So, um, blew past that. The previous leader was 1474 at what was the longest open championships in history and nearly the biggest, just 85 teams short of the record. So, uh, this was the big one for sure. And uh, you guys came out and put on a show, uh, but it didn't start out that way. And this is where Daniel signs a little bit. And it's when we get into the numbers. Uh, And Brenda, of course, you knew this was coming. We have the records pulled up uh, going back to uh, to your Open Championships debut in 1997. Uh, And you already mentioned kind of what 2008 was like for you personally. uh, And then just getting back into the swing of things in 2009 and and, uh, confidence wise. Uh, But uh, Daniel, talk about uh, talk about what you want to talk about.
1: Well, you took uh, eight years off in between visits to the OC. You bowled last was 2001, and then your next year was 2009. Uh, in team event in 09, you only shot 571. How much of that was just struggling on the lanes, and how much of it uh, might have been nerves coming back to an atmosphere like the OC? Now, you bowled in you know, the sta- a stadium-like atmosphere before. You've competed for national championships, both collegiate and professional, but how much of that team event in 09 was struggling the lanes and how much of it was the nerves and the anxiousness of bowling an event like the oc in a stadium like atmosphere
2: a lot of it was lane play um see growing up our family vacation was always to the abc tournament and so i tagged along with my family watching my dad and i heard him for so many years talk about chasing eagles and i didn't really know what he was talking about I can remember walking into the 2009 venue and looking on the wall for his name with past, you know, tournament because he had had, I think, 33 years um, before he had gotten sick uh, in a row. And he was my first doubles partner in that event. And so, you know, I don't know that there's too many nerves of being out there, but I definitely struggled with uh, laying conditions and, and playing the pattern the correct way and uh, making the right ball selection. So you, 571, it's actually more than I thought I had. I, I remember it more like a, you know, a a 450 feeling.
1: Well, that, that was, that was later. We'll, we'll get to that once we get done talking about (laughs) 2009, but you know, Stephen was your doubles partner back then. So you all wrap up team event and, uh, what, what was the conversation after team, you know, once you go out to dinner and kind of put bowling behind you, Moving forward, looking forward to the next day, what was the conversation about? How are we going to play the lanes different? How are we going to score higher, bowl better, and improve these numbers going into day two?
2: Sure. You know, we uh, we try to live live forward, and so we talked about you know some of the things that we could improve upon. We went to dinner. We actually went on the gondola ride at the Venetian uh, later that night just to kind of relax and chill out. And we decided that we were going to get up and have some breakfast and then head down to the convention center and just kind of watch, uh, watch our pair and and watch what was going on around us to kind of get an idea, because that was still before they did fresh oil for every squad. Mm-hmm. And so we had, we had the burn squad. And so we knew that they were gonna play different than they had the night before. Um, and so we did, we camped out in the stands for probably an hour, hour and a half, um, and just watched and noticed that there was, um, our, the pair that we were going on to had classified bowlers on it and so a lot of them were using plastic balls and uh, playing the track area. And so you know we kind of thought that that was a good sign for us and made a game plan for how we were going to attack the lanes. Um, the funny part about that is we didn't end up do, using our game plan because you know in practice everything I threw hooked off my toe and everything he threw went left of the head pin. And so we kind of both looked at each other and said, Okay, next. Uh-huh. And um, he told me, he says, hey, throw this ball. And it was my python that I just drilled. Uh, didn't have more than maybe three or four shots on it. And uh, I told him to throw the, the whatever the blue Columbia ball he had, because I thought that one would probably work and not hook quite so much. And so with no practice shots, with either of the two balls that we ended up throwing, we came out of the gates crazy striking. So.
0: Uh-huh. So now if ever there was a, a bunch of dance-in-the-classroom kind of teammates, uh, you guys certainly uh, surround yourself with those folks. Uh, a whole lot of fun, uh, but they've also found success over the years on the lane. Steve Sutphin and Butch Cormier, and, and just they're, they're there to play as well. Uh, so Absolutely. they have a good time. It's a very relaxed atmosphere. Um, but uh, I know Steven being the, the analyst and, and always looking at uh, the numbers as well and, and how, to, how to make things better. Uh, Steven, tell us about the conversation and and the night of, I mean, 571 for most folks uh, is a good, is a good score in, uh, in open championships competition. Uh, But when you're followed up with the numbers, we're going to say in just a minute, um, you know, some things had to happen in order to go from 570 to
3: 770. Yeah. uh, Like Brent said, you kind of try to live where you plan and where you practice and where you're Uh, where you're going so to speak as opposed to a race in the past we learned from the past we we figured out that a lot of the decisions you made early on were just not successful at the time you you gotta look at both events as different events though your team's going to play completely different for your doubles your doubles going to play slightly different from your, your singles and so um going from hey there's not a big number in the team event to the doubles event and then having the potential or at least clearing resetting everything and saying hey there's still a chance out here it's pretty easy to do when you think about it because you got to separate the, the events and consider them different different tournaments so to speak um so it wasn't hard to transition and to put a game plan together uh but it is difficult in the moment to change the game plan whenever that that shows up and as and like she said we uh we had some some good conversation good communication back and forth and really good communication with our teammates during that time who was specifically on the pairs next to us uh, before we switched over to the singles event but for the doubles event we uh we did our homework and we we planned like i said like she said and we also had uh no fear in changing what we saw and reacting to that so once you react and you're in the moment and you're throwing shots at that point it, it doesn't become too difficult to to dial in if if your focus and if your goal if your your practice is all moving toward that goal which was just the best we could that day
0: now you had some success, of course, as a collegiate player back in the day at uh, Florida State. Uh, so you're no stranger to the spotlight and a little bit of success. And um, but as things started to unfold, uh, can you guys describe just the feelings that uh, you mentioned in the interview? After there wasn't a lot of score watching, you really didn't know kind of what the numbers were, what was leading that kind of thing. It was just very focused on on shot after shot. Uh, but at some point you had to know the crowd was forming. There was some whispering, uh, maybe, maybe something was going on.
2: Well, I tried to do the math after the second game and I, to find out like how much we had. Cause you know, we had two really big games to start the, the, to start doubles with. And I was like, huh, we gotta be close. And so I start trying to do the math and it's coming out to like 350 that we need to take the lead. And I was like, that cannot be right. I don't teach math. Like I've never taught math, (laughs) so obviously. And then I was like, okay, just bull, just bull. And so, and I guess my math was probably pretty close to being correct, but um, yeah, I just stopped thinking about it. There's a a great shot in the compilation that uh, Matt did that was on the Bull TV afterwards yeah, crazy. 542 556. I mean, who does that? That that's unreal. Um, but after I threw the first shot in the 10th frame, Steven looked at me and said, "That was for the that was for the lead or that was for something." And I was like, "What are you talking about? We we took the lead." And he's like, "No, that one." And he points up at the record banner and I was like, "Shut up." <laughs> and so you can actually see my face doing that. Shut up. <laughs>
0: I, I did watch that earlier. I, I saw that. You could see the moment when it clicked, and, and yeah. it, it was certainly amazing to uh, to see that and then uh, to look at the scoreboard now all these years later. Kind of goosebumps for you guys, Stephen?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Yes.
3: <laughs> I think the first two games for me went by really quickly. Um, before we knew it, we looked up and the eighth frames over in the first game. You have a great game out of the gate, and that's fun. Uh, you look at the middle of game two. the end of game two and it goes by so fast again but by the time you look up again um you're trying to do some math but at the same time you're trying to just pay attention to what's going on shot to shot making sure that you're you're continuing your your process whatever that looked like for us at the time and so uh yeah for us i think it was it was really quick on the first two games and then we did a little bit of math um it's sometimes best depending on who you are technically if you can get into what the number is and what you need sometimes that'll motivate you and our case we had really good friends at that time that were just enjoying the experience with us and and so there's some whispering like you said about hey there's possibly some numbers here and, and can we catch the leaderboard but it wasn't until the end of game three that we really caught on to it like you guys were saying and then uh from there it was just quality shots stay in the moment don't get the outside of yourself don't look at things that aren't there yet and then uh just hold on and, and see what happens
0: well certainly a, a fairy tale one of the first couples of bowling doing something magical uh, you guys uh weren't married yet and uh just getting ready for just being one of the steps, you know, the, the eagle wedding um, and, and the whole deal and how special this was for you guys uh, just in your in your relationship. And and, and you can't write it any better. But uh, now we're going to take a look at it as well. We do have that video and that moment friend I just mentioned. <laughs> they
2: say
3: that records are made to be broken. <laughs> but perhaps not so many records all at once. Steven Padilla and Brenda Edwards came to Las Vegas and set a new standard for doubles at the USBC Open Championships, rolling 790 and 776 on the way to a new record,
2: 1566 doubles.
3: <laughs> that was the shot up <laughs> moment right there. That was it. <laughs> I had a shot at the league. We knew we were bowling really well, and we didn't know how close we were. We really didn't keep track of the score and, and really try to find out exactly where we were. Uh, we were just having a lot of fun. And having a lot of fun at this event especially with the people around you and especially as a doubles team um, that's what it's all about
2: i've been coming to this event for my entire life my dad participated in the event for 33 years and so you think about the pinnacle of events for bowlers to participate in and this is the biggest showcase for bowlers across the country so it's amazing to be a part of this and to be in the lead going out of here unbelievable
3: for brenda this is an even more unlikely moment She added a perfect 300 game in singles, just the 6th woman ever to do it at the Open, and now stands poised to become only the fifth female competitor to take home a championship. And she says she owes most of that to her parents and her partner.
2: All through my life, it hasn't mattered whether you are a girl or a boy. It was developing your talents from my dad, who started us really, really young, to my sister who coaches Team USA, to Steven, who's been my coach for the last five years. It's all about surrounding yourself with good people.
3: It's crossing our fingers and looking up and hoping that uh, hoping that we, we hold on to it for the rest of the tournament. It, it takes someone bowling well. It's not just going to get lucky out here and bowl well. Um, we're going to cross our fingers and hope it holds on for 24 days. Keep checking back at bowl.com to see it.
0: All right, now, before we talk about singles and that 300, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about doubles. And Brenda, again, I apologize for that interview um daniel just so you know uh lesson learned uh you know it was such an emotional time there was there was tears and laughter and and the whole deal and uh you know i I got brenda to 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 dig in a little bit and and talk about her dad and there was some emotion and some tears uh and then we found out we didn't have any audio uh, on the interview uh and she was able to to go back to that place again uh and bring up that emotion and and you know we all had tears in our eyes and and um It it was just as good the second time and the first time was uh, still even talking about it now. I bet if we told that story again, Brenda, um, you know, talking about what that meant to to you and your family and to your dad. Maybe you can describe it for us now a little bit and then uh, we'll talk about the final three games that year, too.
2: Uh, It was crazy. Um, You know, I firmly believe that my dad was there and he was a part of that day. Uh, Like I said, he always talked about winning Eagles. And, you know, you, you think about it and you think about just the sheer number of people that bowl that event and how many great players bowl that event every year. And to have something that magical happen for three games, for two people, for three games, you can't tell me that my dad wasn't a part of that. And, you know, I can remember calling Jerry. Uh, on the way out of the convention center. And all I could, all I remember with her is just, she is screaming at me, shut up, that's incredible. Oh my gosh, Um, because it is. I will forever tell you that this was that day in June of 2009 was the perfect alignment of all of the stars for that to happen. Uh, 1566 is huge. I I can't even put it into words. It just, I'm so thankful to have been blessed to be a part of that and to have the people around us and, you know, the families that were involved there, you know, I I can't, I can't write a better script for that day. And then to have the fairy tale afterwards, I mean, we have our championship banner hanging in our foyer, you know, we have a two-story foyer and there it is when you walk in the door, you know, 1566 right there, smacking you in the face every day is a good reminder. So it's pretty awesome. Uh, I'm just, I will forever be thankful to have been a part of that and to do it with Steven, you know, my best friend, who's now my husband. It just, it's incredible. Cause that's, man, you, you just don't, That that's not every day. It's It's special and I, it's hard to put into words. So I'm kind of fumbling right now
0: well it was it was awesome to be a part of it again to see to, to see anybody do well and, and have that kind of moment at the oc is fantastic but for for friends to do it certainly means a ton and to be able to tell that story um but it didn't end there i mean you guys had just pulled the highest double score in tournament history but you still had three more games to go Had to flip pairs uh and keep that momentum going uh brenda you were able to do that you pulled. 785 in singles, closed with 300, and, uh, and that last <laughs> thought of you running it out. Um, man, how, how did you guys even just stay calm and focused knowing uh, what had just happened and and, and there's still had three more games to go?
2: I have no clue. I, I'll tell you, flat honest, I could not feel my legs for the first game of singles. I had no clue what was going on and vaguely no memory of what happened in a, during that first game, um, you know, this the second game, I you know, <laughs> that had to, have, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I, I, the 258 game, I left two four pins, um, in that game. So, the last I, I can tell you, the last two games, the last you know, 24 shots were all 24 in the pocket, and by the end of the 300 game, the end of game three of singles. I was really deep on the lanes and just, I, I can remember the feeling in my hand of the ball because I was really trying to thumb down and just circle it to get it to go through the front part of the lanes. But that, I, that's about all I remember, you know, um, it's just, it was a crazy day. And I show that video every year to my students on like the first day of school, because I tell them, I was like, well, I'm, i I'm a professional athlete and everybody guesses like soccer or volleyball and nobody ever guesses bowling until this year because I I cycled up with my kids. So I had a lot of them in fourth grade and fifth grade. But I always show that video and we talk about, you know, setting goals and and dreaming big because this, this reality was bigger than any dream that I ever dreamed. And so, you know, that's that tends to reach that tends to shift and, and make you rethink your dreams because then you're like, well, I never ach- I never dreamed I could achieve that. What else can I dream? So this a, a crazy fairy tale day.
1: I do have one question about this photo right here, and it has nothing to do with with either one of you, Stephen or Brenda. Uh, did you all happen to know the Michael Donahue over on 23 and 24 who had the front nine <laughs> and then went nine out in the 10th?
3: <laughs> yeah uh, we, we noticed it obviously I mean uh, Mike will tell you a lot of things from that experience too and it's, it's kind of funny to, to not only stay in touch with Mike but uh, if you know Mike's humor at all he, he, he would appreciate that and he would be the first to, to comment on that and, and be right there with us and, and realizing that it was great until it wasn't so this <laughs> uh, there's no Mike's doubt Aaron
0: guy. Smith Aaron Smith's got that one on the text right now going straight to Donahue 100% <laughs>
3: Yeah, I'll pick up one thing too, Daniel. We're fast from this. Um, I kind of had the team event that Brenda had uh, following the the doubles event that we had. You can kind of see my. I got five seventy two on the score sheet there, so I'm still I'm living in the past. We just hold great. I'm still <laughs> kind of celebrating and enjoying. And it's obvious that she's the competitor here because she not only took those three games from doubles and kept going into singles, but she put on just another clinic. Uh, I think she was seven eighty five. I think it is again um, for a total there in the singles event. Um, and doing outstanding work there. But uh, yeah, it was, it was remarkable. Like she's saying, unbelievable. And uh, we were just, we we're just proud to, to come out having a good experience. with you
1: So Steven, how did the lanes change for you between doubles and singles? Uh, well,
3: I don't know that they did. I think I was the one that changed more than <laughs> okay. the changed. So it, it was more on me, definitely on the bowler at that point. It wasn't on the ex. it wasn't on the lane uh, much. Um, I know that I remember Bryn's bowling specifically because she was bowling so well. Uh, I remember her just continuing the transition uh, from what we did off the doubles. Pairs. We had to switch from doubles to singles pairs um, at that point. So when we got to the fresh set of lanes, uh, well, the, the lanes that had been used previously, we still had to continue the game plan and her game plan just kept going. She just kept the moves going. And it's almost as if she had finished a three game block in a big event, a professional event, just kept going, maybe circled the house, or just playing on a different pair. And she just kept going. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was impressive to watch. So I was in awe as much as I was throwing the shots and, and I got a couple of spares, I think, there along the way. Yeah, it was six counts <laughs> there. It was of shots that are just not good quality execution, but uh, they changed significantly enough for me, uh, but not for her. And that was I was proud to see that and, and the way she kept uh, staying competitive.
0: Well, you, you finished with a clean game, so that was the important thing. You finished strong, uh, but I imagine, as you said, the uh, the role shifted a little bit from uh, from competitor at that point to to making sure that, that Brenda stayed focused and calm and. Uh, because that's what you do, I think, and and you can you can do all those things at once. There's uh, there's our photo from mm-hmm. from right after that uh, that doubles and single squad. But um, man, the the feelings in that picture. Can you even describe, Stephen, uh, what you guys are thinking and feeling? You know, knowing what just happened. This is not too long after, so it's still pretty fresh.
3: Yeah, if you just look at both of us, uh, there's just joy there right there, right there when you look at us, um, pure smiles. Uh, everything is. It was just a pure excitement. Uh, Las Vegas is not only a fun town, but having a great event like that coming out of it um, on top of the leaderboard, um, I think behind this mile, there may be a little bit of, of cautiousness because the tournament wasn't over, um, but just the venue was great. Uh, the staff there was outstanding. Um, obviously the lanes for us uh, did played very well. We were not only proud of our performance, but uh, like she said, just blessed to have the opportunity and that be able to share it with good friends. And I think it's written right there on our faces when you see it. Uh, I believe, uh, I don't think I've changed my social network uh, profile from that photo. since I appreciate that. I appreciate that. (laughs) That that was my
0: role in this whole thing was the photography and the videography. So, uh, you know, I I get to play a part in every school year for Brenda. And uh, anytime somebody tries to stalk Steven on Facebook, uh, my (laughs) photography is right there as well.
3: Yeah, Yeah, it's great. It's a great, great experience. And uh, that's a a huge moment in in our lives and in our careers.
1: Now, Stephen, you, you mentioned in that photo that you, in, in kind of in the back of your mind, you knew the event wasn't over yet. Mm-hmm. So you all had 24 days to wait. What was it like during that three and a half weeks of waiting, knowing that scores in Las Vegas that year had been so sky high? How much of you was thinking, we got this? And how much of you was thinking, oh, man, that, that's going to get beat?
3: <laughs> I have never checked the leaderboard so much in my life. Now, having the lead and going into an event – are coming out of it, so to speak, in that long of an event. Um, I, I don't know that it was not every hour I was checking to see how the squads were going. I even remember staying up late to watch squads of good players that come through just in case. Um, I, it didn't matter if they were bowling great game one and game two, uh, not just the doubles event, but any event just to see who was coming through. Um, but it was, uh, it was entertaining to say the least. Uh, I'd say a little bit nerve-wracking, but we had a big number. I mean, like Matt said, it was 14 and change um, on that year that we had – gotten past the, the leaders at that point so we had a significant lead over that them at that point but you still never know i mean i think um in the last uh, oc event you guys talked about with wendy um i'm not sure if you covered it or not but she was an oc champion also and hers was down to the last day i think it was so it can be down to the last minute that you yep. just never know but once we had seen the last couple squad a double squad go through uh, it was a pretty exciting time pretty joyous and we were waiting we we're waiting the great phone call from the staff there at headquarters to make it official. And once we got it, it
2: was, uh, it was great. Well, I was uh, at junior gold in Indianapolis, um, <laughs> waiting for that phone call. And so that was crazy. That wait was hard.
0: Uh, that was kind of the the onset of Facebook. We didn't really do a whole lot of social media at that point. Uh, but you guys uh, were on the mailing list. So you got the the emails and the, the news releases coming through and, uh, you kind of had a, the inside info. Uh, but when it was finally over and the phone finally rang, uh, being in different places, even, um, is, is that the moment that it, did it click for you? Was it when you received the Eagle? Uh, when did it really become real once you had just accomplished not only the record, but being an Eagle winner again with, uh, with your dad and, and the 300 and just, just the perfect storyline. Uh,
2: I don't know. I don't know that it still feels real. Um, You know, every year when we walk back into the venue and we see our banner hanging from the rafters still, that's really cool. Um, Last year, my brother bowled the Open Championships, and he was on five and six, which was the pair that had our – I lost the word. The masking unit? (laughs) The masking unit. Yeah. And so he took a picture of that, and that's really cool that it has his name, Ray Edwards, and then our picture underneath it. You know, it doesn't feel real. Um, It just – if somebody would have said you're going to shoot 1566 and that's gonna take the lead and you're gonna win the OC and you're gonna have an eagle and then that record's gonna stand for some years. I, I You know, you don't, you don't ever think about that or at least I didn't. And so it, to me, I don't know that it ever really has felt real. It's just so unbelievable cool that, you know, you can say that and that's something that describes us that, you know, we have the record and our names are on banners. It's just, it's, I don't know. It doesn't, I don't know. It doesn't feel real.
3: Yeah. Having the phone call made it real for me, Matt. Um, it was really kind of neat. Not just to get the call, but just to be able to say that, uh, that, yeah, you've got the accomplishment under your belt and it's something that you can hold on to. I think the reality though of uh, year after year, like you said, going back and, and seeing the result looks great. Um, but the, the reality to me is that uh, at some point somebody's going to break it. Uh, honestly, um, and I, I enjoy it while we have it, and I always enjoy the fact that we were part of that that uh, that day that really set us up and and, uh, and gave us a, a nice spot in the, in the tournament's history. But uh, I, I look forward to the day someday when somebody, when I get to call, call somebody and say, congratulations, uh, I'll show this real fast, that um, the leaders that year reached out to us right after that phone call, and it was official, and they, they basically, um, Mike Shady and his team there said, uh, called me specifically and he says, Hey, congratulations. Just want to say uh, great job, very class act thing. Uh, i expect nothing less out of Mike. He's a super, super guy in that regard. And I hold that I think is one of the places too, where I look at it and go, you know what, it's real. Um, not only is it recognizing the event, but, but athletes are recognizing it too. Um, uh, it's still fun to experience uh, from time to time, but as a whole, I think it's important to know that, uh, that uh, it's, it's always kind of there. It's always, it's always going to be around.
0: And now part of the open championships experience, of course, as a champion is can you come back the next year, uh, see that banner for the first time, the presentation, the march out to the lanes, seeing the word champion on the scoreboard of or the orange Eagle next to your name. Um, before we talk about what you guys were feeling personally, the next year coming in, Brenda, uh, what do you think your dad would have had to say uh, if he walked in there with you and he got to experience this moment and see that banner for the first time coming up the escalator at the national bowling stadium Uh, And seeing that presentation on the lanes as you guys were introduced as champions for the first time.
2: I don't know that he would have had words. He would have had just, he probably would have had some tears in his eyes and a big grin on his face. Um, He would have said that he was proud. And man, that's all I ever worked for growing up was just to hear him say, good job, I'm proud of you. So I know he's saying that.
0: Right, now, you guys were introduced, and uh, being double champions, you had some time to, to get comfortable on the lanes, and uh, Daniel's looking at that record right now. But, uh, you know, you, you got the experience in the moment, and what was it like coming down center aisle, you know, as those defending champions and, and just everybody, all eyes on you, and then having to turn around and bowl just minutes later?
3: I think coming down the, the aisle was, uh, was center aisle right there, actually through Reno, so it was a lot of fun. Uh, you get to kind of be the center of all the attention coming through. Um, I think it was great. I think we even did some kind of small little bowling uh, move when we were coming down the aisle there to start with. It's kind of neat. We just kind of put something together really fun. Um, but uh, that experience, um, when you get to be showcased like that, uh, it's a, not only a good reminder, but it's special going back to the event. I don't think it's as difficult to get on the lanes and expect yourself to bowl as well. Because, I, again, I think we try and stay in the moment when we compete and we're not necessarily focused on what's happened in the past versus what's going on now, just kind of stay in the moment. But um, it, it was unbelievable, once again, to just experience the, to, to re-experience uh, the, the, um, the accomplishment, the achievement, to get a chance to really look at the whole process again. Um, I know we've watched the video that's been produced many, many times, we, we share with friends and family and what have you, but uh, pretty special that year coming back. I know the performance wasn't as high this year coming back, uh, that, that year, 2010, um, but uh, but still great
0: to relive it. So I know Daniel's gonna take a look at those numbers real quick. But uh, it wasn't bad considering the the pressure and, and the stage and and all the eyes on you. Um, still a, a pretty good performance.
1: Yeah, y'all shot uh, you know in your doubles in your defend your defense of that title thirteen seventy seven. Uh, while no, it's not fifteen sixty six. It's still a very good number to put up, uh, and I'm sure that that jumped you all up the standings. And and you left looking at your doubles for performance uh, positively. But that that's not what I want to ask about. If anyone's watched this show before, and I'm hoping that those of you watching now have, you know that Matthew is the eternal optimist when it comes to bowling and experiences and performances such as your all's in 2009. I, however, am the eternal pessimist. And I can look and go... <laughs> Okay, these two great players did something amazing the previous year. We know you all are are up here. You're on the pedestal. You're defending champions. I'm the one that looks at the numbers and goes, well, what happened there? Um, Brenda, (laughs) yes. team team event in in 2010, you said that you felt like 2009 was like a 460 or a 470. 2010, uh, it was 462. (laughs) I've just got two words, and that's...
2: What happened? Uh, bad bowling. <laughs> lots and lots of bad bowling.
1: To Matt's point yeah. about you, you come out on the lanes, you're you're announced as defending champions, the the pomp and circumstance of it, and then you're immediately going right into practice and then right into competition. How much? How long did it take for you to get settled down in the beginning of that team event? Or I mean, did you just never really get settled down? Plus, like you said, bad bowling. I'm sure lots of splits, missed spares, etc.
2: Yeah, I think the first game I shot 160 and I think then I shot 230, 160 maybe. Um, Yeah, I, uh, for me, listen, um, when I get comfortable, I can repeat shots and I can repeat shots. And the problem I usually have is when things aren't going very well on the lanes, I tend to press and I tend to want to make things happen. And we all know that that doesn't work ever. Uh And so that was a lot of the team event was trying to make something work instead of looking at what the lanes were giving me and reacting to what the lane was telling me to do. I had this picture in my mind of what I wanted to see and the lane wasn't giving me that and I was fighting it. And well, that's what 470 looks like. So,
1: How much of that fighting do you think was just your natural fierceness of wanting to succeed and how much of it, Was you looking back going, I won an Eagle last year. Now I'm bowling like this.
2: I think there's a good chunk of both of those in there. Um, I don't ever like to fail. I mean, I hate being embarrassed on the lanes. And I feel like when I am not figuring it out fast enough, to me, that's like, oh, my gosh, that's embarrassing. Stop it and try to make it better. And I'm a fixer. Uh, and a perfectionist when it comes to things that I do. And so in bowling, man, there's times I got to check that at the door because we all know that there's nothing perfect about bowling, you know? Even on your best days, you have those bumps in the road that you just, on your, on your best days, those are minimalized. And on the worst days, like team event for me, it just gets magnified. And the more you try to fix them, the more they magnify.
1: Now, you bounced back the next day, as we said, 720 in doubles. Uh, You shot 570 in singles, so kind of your high that year, as far as (laughs) scores were concerned, was in doubles. Uh, What was it like returning back to the stadium where the previous year you'd made your run at the Queens?
2: Well, you know, I've had a great history in that building. Um, I I tend to bowl very well in that building. I love big settings like that. Um, They they fuel me, you know, that fierceness. I love to compete, and I always feel like, you know, if I can't win, I'm not going to play, and so – I always walk into that building, especially knowing that I have a shot. And um, so, yeah, but you can't ever, you you go in with the best laid plans and Uh, sometimes bowling just doesn't let you have it. So
1: I like, it kind of reminds me of what Mike Tyson said. He said, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mm -hmm. And then that completely goes out the window and you're reacting on instinct and self preservation. Uh, So this question is for both of you, Stephen, I'll start with you. Your doubles performance in 2010 was good, 1377. Uh, Overall, it wasn't a great year for both of you individually, but what was that year 2010 like? Looking at it, looking back at it, coming in as defending champions, the hoopla around it, the excitement around it, how would you categorize 2010 if you're not looking at the scores?
3: Um, Just from the circumstance of being defending champions and a little bit of that, like you said, the the stuff that goes with it, um, it it does have a a play, I think, in kind of how your performance is going to happen that year or what's going to happen, uh, whether you want it to or not, it's there. And because it's there, it does have some kind of role in what's going to happen. Um, but I think that um, the 1370 for us is uh, a good number coming back, and we want it to perform well again. Obviously, you may even be trying a little harder to get back to a good number in that particular event because you know what you what you were capable of. Uh, I think it also throws the whole thing into perspective and goes, you know what, uh, uh, just like Brent saying, um, it's bowling. It doesn't give you anything. you got to go get what you want out of it. But, um, but that whole environment wrapped around that 2010 year for me um, was great to celebrate. And it's fun to have that conversation again and again and talk about what happened the previous year. Um, but the reality and the goal of what you're trying to do from year to year is just like the guys that you know or the girls that you know that, see, that you see compete regularly that are co- constantly successful. You go back with the expectation of how do I get better and how do I get how am I going to continue not just to, to set records, but to just go be um, be proud of the fact that you put in a good effort and that you didn't just, just give away a bunch of, uh, of missed opportunities. Uh,
1: that 1377, by the way, put you all in 57th overall for that year in doubles, so not bad by, by any stretch of the imagination. Brenda, same question for you, looking back at 2010, putting the scores aside, how would you recap that year at the OC?
2: Uh, a roller coaster, <laughs> you know, just a lot of up and down. Um, For me, the the stadium always plays different from lane to lane and from section to section. Like they kind of go in like 10 lane increments with how they play. And, you know, I remember making the flip from doubles to singles. And for me, the the lanes were just they were a lot different. And I did not handle change very well that year. So, again, it's a learning experience. And, you know, you have to learn how to be patient. And that's hard to do in an event where you only have three games to put up your score. So mm-hmm. it, it's that balancing act of I need to be patient, but I also need to make a change. So, and I don't think I did that very well that year.
0: Right. Now you still are the record holders, 1566. Uh, they didn't take away your eagles uh, based on your team performance the next year, so those are <laughs> yours forever. Um, and of course, your all-event score, including that 785 in singles, got you to 2132. In 2009, the highest ever still by a woman at the Open Championships. So, so many special things wrapped into one. You married your best friend, uh, and then Maddie comes along, uh, and now she's been to the Open Championships as well. Uh, is she at an age where she can understand some of the, the success and what these things mean and what that banner means that she looks at every day walking in and out of the house? Uh, or uh, is that maybe down the road a little bit where uh, she can have the the kind of memories that you had as a youngster at the OC?
2: Uh, I think she understands um, that mom and dad are pretty good bowlers and that we've had some success on the lanes. I don't think she truly understands just the history of the Open Championships. Um, I look forward to being able to teach her that and be able to, you know, I have my dad's uh, plaque from his 33rd year. And so that's, that's going up in the house. And so she'll learn the history and the significance of everything along the way. I don't know that at eight, she, she really comprehends that right now.
3: Yeah. She doesn't have a full grasp on that yet. It's going to take some time. It'll take some learning.
2: All right. Well, hopefully we'll get
0: to see you guys in 2020 at the open championships, the event scheduled for September 12th. Start going through November 21st. will be our last team date. Of course, that'll be, right in the middle of the school year there for you, Brenda. Um, Have you guys talked about that? I know uh, with some of the rule changes, uh, Steven will most likely be there to to support and just to, uh, to watch and keep an eye on Maddie while you're doing your thing uh, and enjoying the experience. But uh, can we hope to see you there in 2020? Have you guys talked about that?
2: It's very possible. Um, I think my team has decided to forego. So if I, if I go to bowl, I'll go and try to jump on a sub board. Um, so I know that USBC, its employees usually do their team building out at the Open Championship. So mm-hmm. if Steven gets a chance to get out and bowl with his coworkers, then we may flip-flop and l- let me jump onto a couple of squads there as well.
0: Uh, what advice do you have for for Maddie or the, the next little guy or girl, you know, watching mom or dad at the Open Championships? And then uh, same question to Steven after as far as, um, you know, as a parent, as a coach, as a bowling fan and historian – Um, any advice for the next generation of OC competitors?
2: Um, you know, it's one of those things, whatever you choose to do in life, just do it. Great. Uh, make sure that you always put your best into it and know that anything is possible. The, the one thing that I leave my students with every single day and they'll laugh because I'm going to say it here. I tell them, go be amazing. You already are. So go out and spread it in the world. Go be amazing.
3: Yeah, for me, it's pretty simple. Um, be in the moment. I mean, if you're going to be at the OC, take in the full experience. Enjoy all the, the celebration around the event because it's everywhere. From the time you walk up the, the escalator or the steps to get up to the event, uh, from the time you get out in the conquest, the through, just getting onto the approaches, there's going to be tons of celebration of the sport for the entire OC event. So I would say enjoy that. Um, experience it. Enjoy it. Take it in. Um, the reality is you still got to throw the ball, though. So you got to be in the moment when you're ready to throw the ball. Do your homework, prepare the uh, best you can, but be ready for anything. We said it right here that we were not we were prepared with a game plan that completely went out the window as soon as we saw something different. So uh, do your homework, have a good time, enjoy the event because there's really nothing like it in our sport.
0: Well, speaking of game plans and preparation and in, in 2009 and 2010, uh, we have a viewer in the chat. Uh, his name is Bo Gergen. You may have heard of him. <laughs> Uh, He Mm -hmm. also found some success in Las Vegas in 2009 with a record score, 862 in the singles event to take home that title. Came back the very next year for a team all events title in Reno. Uh, He'll be our guest on Thursday here on inside the OC. Uh, He is in the chat and he said, Brenda, they've got room for you in their group. So if, uh, there you go, we, uh, we did the dirty work for you. All you gotta do is, uh, contact Bo and uh, you've got your spot for 2020.
2: Awesome. I do want to say
1: that uh, one of one of my biggest disappointments this year about the event being pushed back is, is uh, I don't know where everyone's team builder is going to fall, but originally I was set to bowl doubles with Steven.
3: That's right. We, That's we, we right. Were the, we were on the pair together. That's right. We we're supposed to be doubles partners.
1: So Put it forward um, to it. I know. I know. Hopefully we can still make that work. I don't know what everybody's plans are, how dates are going to work, but when I saw that, I was like, man, I could. Wait a second! I got a I got a bowl with an eagle winner. Like I, I was like, oh my god, oh my
3: god, oh my god. Keep me posted on your dates too. I want to find out when it's when it's possible. If if so, I'd love like a chance to.
1: I'll be there with Matt every single day the event runs. <laughs> okay, we'll figure it out. Well, well,
2: right, we're, we're looking forward my, to it, of course. Stevens, my favorite doubles partner. So you are so lucky to have him.
1: I I can I can tell.
0: so <laughs> uh, the the bar is high. As long as you guys do. 1565 or lower. I think Brenda will be, we'll be happy <laughs> with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that is some awesome stuff. We, uh, we certainly appreciate, uh, both of you coming on and, and telling the stories and, and taking us back in time a little bit. Uh, so cool that, uh, that, again, you could do this, uh, with your, your best friend and now, uh, you know, husband and wife, uh, it makes my job so easy. And, and I hope Daniel has some, uh, some law balls like this in the future that are just so much fun to be a part of, Uh, before we go uh brenda any final thoughts for today and and uh, for all the folks out there
2: i just really want to say thank you for having us on and giving us the opportunity to come on and reminisce Um, like i said you know family and friends are so important it's the relationships that you build around you and bowling has been so good to this family and my family throughout the years there's just nothing i could ever say to, to give back and just to say thanks. So I really appreciate you and and everything that y'all are doing for the sport. So thank you.
0: Thank you very much. And thanks for, for all you've done for being a part of our history. Uh, Steven, same question, any final thoughts and, and advice for for anybody out there? And of course uh, you, you do serve many roles within our sport, uh, but uh, this one is probably the most special, I think, being a, being a champion at uh, at an event that dates back to 1901.
3: Yeah, from the, from the OC's perspective, that event, like I said, just celebrate the event when you get a chance. Always get, uh, if you can, the opportunity to go and compete. Um, I think from the coaching perspective, what I do, what my, my daily work is, from the Team USA perspective, I get, I get to be around a lot of great players, and that's exciting. Um, don't get me wrong, I get to learn a lot as much as uh, I get to teach when I coach. But uh, uh, same sentiment Brent's, uh, Brent's sitting out there. Um, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get a chance to talk to you guys about this. Reliving it really kind of brings back a lot of those great memories. Um, but, uh, on the competitor side and on the coaches side, I think it's valuable to learn all the time, um, put it wherever you can into play and just, uh, be thankful, be grateful because the bowling community and the bowling world around us has a lot to offer if you're willing to take it in.
0: All right. Well, thanks for that insight, of course. And again, we go way back to our college bowling days as, uh, as rivals in Florida. Uh, and then of course, to your days coaching at Kegel at USBC, uh, and our Team USA travel days as well. That's where we got these cool pullovers at the Pan Am Games in Peru. Uh, what an awesome thing just to be a part of as well. Uh, Daniel Ferris, something you're familiar with as well, Team USA, and now the Open Championships. Any final thoughts or questions from you today before we say goodbye to our, our featured guests?
1: Uh, not, no really uh, questions. I do have no or really maybe even thoughts, but I do have one quick story. When I was working the OC last year, it was my first year working it, and we had a a feature each day that was the photo of the day. And Brenda when you were bowling I was uh, we had you on the calendar as someone we were going to take some video of and put it up hey look who's bowling today you know eagle winner record holder stuff like that and you after watching you throw a couple of shots in person I'd seen you on video but not in person after watching a couple of shots you were entered onto my list of bowlers who I could just sit and watch throw the ball forever <laughs> you Mike Fagan and a couple of of other bowlers are on that list because of how well you throw it how smooth you are how clean the release uh, so I actually sat back after taking the video and watched for about five or six frames. Uh, I don't remember the outcomes if they were all strikes or, or big red circles. Um, but you entered that list that day. And I'm looking forward to seeing both of you uh, in person in Reno this year.
2: Well, thank you very much. I can't take all the credit for that. I've had the best coaches in the world. And the best one right now sitting downstairs for me in this this phone call. So he has a big hand in the reason that I have experienced any of the successes I have in my lifetime. You, do, you don't go through this life alone. And so you don't get to the high places by yourself. You gotta, you gotta have a village to lift you up. And man, I can't ask for anything better than the man downstairs. Uh, he's always lifting me up and making sure that I achieve the highest possible points.
3: Daniel, you're right. That makes my job easier from the coaching perspective, man, which has got that physical game going. Things look easy, easy on my side to to step back and kind of be proud. But I share the same sentiment. I'm blessed to have her.
1: Well, that that, that sentiment is shared in my family as well. My father has been my coach my entire career. Uh, Certainly, he's received some help here and there from people who uh, at times were smarter about things than we were as I jumped up and became better and better and better. But um, for the most part, he is the uh, creator of my game. So I know exactly what that feels like.
0: All right, well, Brenda, Stephen, we certainly appreciate all your time today, all the great stories once again. uh, We saw Maddie pop in a couple times during the show. I wasn't sure if uh, she was going to be able to drop in and and wave and say hi. Uh, But, folks, we do appreciate everybody tuning in for this edition of Inside the OC. We've got a lot more coming up for you this week on Bowl TV. Of course, we're here talking OC all day on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern, the PWBA podcast on Mondays and Wednesdays and the Sport of Bowling show on Friday afternoons. We've also got some other Bowl TV-only content, and uh, Daniel has his own show, uh, Splitting Boards. Daniel, why don't you tell us real quick uh, all about that show. Of course, uh, Curtis Von Kruger and Mill Williams Jr. also hosting new shows on Bowl TV. But uh, what have you got coming up for us this week?
1: Uh, Splitting Boards comes on 4 o'clock Eastern, 3 o'clock Central on uh, Wednesday afternoons right here on Bowl TV. Uh, Bull TV member exclusive show. And basically, I will take a player or in the case of last week's show, players, and we'll look back at a championship match or a title game uh, that they were a part of where they came out victorious, and we will watch it in real time and talk with the player and ask what emotions were going through their head, reactions to this shot. Uh, my first two episodes were with Matt Russo who was on the Weber International 2019 Men's ITC Championship team. And then last week's show was Maddie Brandos and Courtney Ermish from the 2019 Women's ITC Championship, Robert Morris University. And then tomorrow's show, we have Shannon O'Keefe, two-time PWBA Player of the Year winner and the 2019 PWBA Tour Championship winner. We're going to watch the end of her semifinal match at that tournament against her bestie, Stephanie Johnson, and then the title match against Dasha Kovalova. So tune in to Bull TV, check it out. We've had a lot of fun so far, and I predict we'll have some more fun in the very
0: near future. All right, there you have it, folks. Once again, coming up on Thursday, Bo Gergen will take us back to Las Vegas. We'll talk to him and all of his roles as well. Uh, And that is going to do it. So, Brenda, Steven, Maddie, thanks for letting us have your parents for an hour. Uh, We really appreciate it. We look forward to seeing you guys uh, at work and on the lanes. And the rest of you
2: folks, you know the drill. That's the news for now. We'll see you on the lanes.